Throughout the 20th century, the formerly colonized nations of the Global South have attempted to fight the unfair conditions that face them in the international economy, which has been largely rigged by the Western states. One of the main ways of exploitation and part of this unfair global economy that the Global South countries have to suffer from are unequal terms of trade. These terms of trade represent the fact that Global South nations receive low prices for their exports and unfairly high prices for imported goods that they receive from the Global North nations. As Vijay Prashad writes, whilst enriching European nations and spurring their industrial advancement, colonialism reduced the African continent to a provider of raw materials and consumer of finished products. The terms of trade sent its states into a spiral of indebtedness and dependency. Attempts to break out of this condition by Kwame Nkrumah in Ghana or Thomas Sankara in Burkina Faso resulted in Western-backed coups. Demander à manger, ça c'est mauvais. Deuxièmement, l'aide alimentaire fait que les paysans de chez nous qui auraient pu produire ne peuvent plus produire parce que quand ils produisent, ils n'avaient plus à vendre. C'est les surplus des paysans des autres pays qu'on nous amène ici. Nous, nous demandons autre chose. The global north countries do not want the terms of trade to change because they benefit from this incredibly unequal exchange. Economist Argiri Emanuel diagnosed this situation in his text Unequal Exchange, and in Chapter 5 on the International Equilibrium Price, he proposed a solution that would benefit the underdeveloped countries and serve as a defense mechanism against these unfair terms of trade. It would be a tax on exports. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. In the 1970s, many of the Global South nations attempted to change the international economic order by proposing the NIEO, the New International Economic Order. One of their main complaints was that the terms of trade were highly unequal and unfair. While they proposed a variety of mechanisms such as import quotas, tariffs, and different taxes, Argiri Emanuel's proposal for a tax on exports is unique. Emmanuel lays out the case for a tax on exports and gives us clear evidence that this should be attempted as a way to rebalance the terms of trade. To begin, we must understand the different terms of trade and how they apply on the international level. We can start with the net barter terms of trade, or commodity terms of trade, which are defined as a ratio of export prices to import prices. This differs from the gross barter terms of trade. Gross barter is the ratio of the physical quantity of the import to the physical quantity of the export. As Emmanuel tells us, we should focus on the former rather than the latter. Even though many neoclassical economists will protest this mechanism of defense for the underdeveloped countries, saying that it will destroy the balance of trade, 
Emmanuel corrects them and says, When reading economic writings on this subject, one often has the impression that it is too easily forgotten, that the terms of trade have nothing to do with quantities exported or imported, but solely with unit prices. Very often, economists imagine they are arguing about terms of trade and the national income, when in fact, they are arguing about the balance of trade. This differs. The Global South countries are not that concerned with the balance of trade. However, it is significant that they improve the prices of their exports, because this will gain them more of a beneficial ratio between the prices of their exports and the imports that they receive from the Western states. Finally, we can compare this to the double factorial terms of trade. Factorial terms of trade have to do with factor productivity. If productivity is high in the domestic export sector, this will benefit the double factorial terms of trade. This is represented best by unit costs. Unit costs will decrease if productivity is higher. And this will mean a more beneficial double factorial terms of trade for the underdeveloped countries. Emmanuel gives us this model. While looking at it, we can see that the y-axis is represented by the increasing unit costs, the x-axis is represented by quantities of the goods produced, and we also see barter terms and factorial terms of trade. We see a supply curve represented by O and O prime, and a demand curve represented by D and D prime. To begin, the Global South country will receive equilibrium price E for a quantity Q and a unit cost B. This is the equilibrium price at which the country can sell its export. Along the supply curve O, O prime, the country's unit cost can range anywhere from A to B. A significant range in the unit cost. The demand curve D, D prime remains the same. We can also understand that pure cost is represented at this point by the range from A to B. This is the range of costs that the country will incur for producing its product. At the current moment, the barter terms are represented by the range M to N prime. However, if a tax on exports is levied, the equilibrium price shifts to E prime for a quantity Q prime and a unit cost range from A prime to B prime. This means that for any quantity Q prime produced, the unit cost, depending on the supply curve, will range from A prime to B prime. The equilibrium price at which the products can be sold will augment upwards to E prime. The demand curve D to D prime remains the same. However, the supply curve shifts upward and parallel from O to O prime to OT and OT prime. Emmanuel argues that the barter terms of trade, because the equilibrium price has shifted upward to E prime, shift and incorporate N prime and M prime. This is a gain in the net barter terms of trade that the underdeveloped country receives. In addition, because of this tax, the factorial terms of trade increase as well. Previously, factorial terms of trade could be as low as A. However, the minimum now is A prime. That is because no matter what the productivity is, the country will have to receive factorial terms ranging upwards to F prime. As we stated before, the pure cost represented to this country 
on the previous supply curve from O to O prime is represented by A to B. This is the pure cost incurred. However, once the tax has been levied, the pure costs of the country will shift to T and F prime. This is also represented by A prime and B prime. And this represents the range of unit costs that the country produces its commodity for. Emmanuel argues that the pure cost has changed and a diminution in unit costs has been achieved by implementing this tax on exports. The pure cost has shifted from AB to A prime B prime, which is a gain in terms of decreasing the overall unit cost and pure cost to this country. In the end, we are left with a country that has benefited substantially. Its barter terms of trade have improved and its factorial terms have improved in proportion to the tax. It now gains a higher equilibrium price on the world market for its commodity. And finally, it has diminished the overall cost necessary to produce this commodity, benefiting its terms of trade. It follows from the foregoing that a tax on exports can be a very useful device in the hands of the underdeveloped countries, with a view to redressing their terms of trade, which are suffering from the inequality of exchange due to low wages. If wages cannot be raised, either in the country generally or selectively in the export sectors, the only means left to these countries for preventing the excess surplus value from draining away abroad through unequal exchange is to make up for the inequality in the rate of surplus value by imposing a tax on exports. This tax increases the amount of money received for the commodity taxed without increasing either the real social costs of producing it or the profit of the capitalist producer. This last point is important because in the absence of a structural change in the competitive system inside the country, an artificial increase in the selling price through international agreements such as has already been experienced in the case of coffee and cocoa, entails a super profit for the producing concerns, and thereby an influx of capital into the branch and overproduction, which soon crashes through all the price floors that may be laid down by conferences. The fixing of export quotas is also found to be useless in practice. In the first place, these quotas, which are necessarily based on extrapolation from previous export figures, take a long time and much difficulty to negotiate. The development of the production of each exporting country being very different, it is in practice impossible to find base year satisfactory to everyone. The general criteria laid down at the opening of conferences are soon broken through by the selective criteria that have increasingly to be adopted the longer the conference goes on, in order to dispose of the objections raised by certain especially tough negotiators. Depending on whether the exporter is a big producer, whose exports count for a lot in the world market, or a small producer whose exports are more or less marginal, the positions taken differ. The small exporters tend to blackmail the big ones. It is rare for an agreement of this sort to be made without some breakaways, which, however insignificant in themselves, offer a bad example and a germ of dissension for the future. Finally, if and when the agreement is made, many of the signatories are left feeling that their interests have been harmed and they are already looking forward to the next revision. As these arguments and revisions of agreements are made on the basis of existing production potential, each of the countries involved is interested in letting this potential expand 
in disregard of all of the restrictions recommended or imposed by the agreement. The very application of these agreements implies a procedure that is complicated and vexatious both for the producing countries and for the consumer countries, and that goes very much against the principles of free enterprise that are nevertheless maintained in force. Insofar as these agreements prove at all effective, that is, insofar as they are followed by a certain increase in prices, the pressure of overproduction, which nothing can check, becomes irresistible. All qualities of a product are not affected to the same extent by any stabilization of the market that may be achieved. An all-around improvement in prices following an artificial shortage brought about by quotas will benefit the producers of some qualities more than the producers of others, depending on the structure of demand. At each momentary improvement in demand, appeals to export in excess of the quota flow into the directing office. Fraudulent exports increase, together with the traffic in forged certificates of origin. Some country that by mistake or through the skill of its negotiators has obtained too generous a quota, sometimes finds that it cannot fulfill this quota. Normally, it ought to lose its right to the amount it cannot supply at the next revision of quotas. But there is another country that has exceeded its quota because it was unwilling or unable to restrict production. Normally, it ought to destroy the surplus, which would give it an incentive to take more effective measures to restrict production in the future. But then the former country, which has an available quota and not enough product to fill it, sells certificates of origin to the latter country, which has the product, but not the quota. If the two countries are neighbors and their production goes out through the same port, this semi-clandestine operation, performed with the more or less tacit connivance of the local authorities, is considerably easier to carry out. Finally, instead of adapting production to quotas, what happens is that quotas are adapted automatically, and either openly or not, to production, which ends by depriving the system of all meaning. Let us imagine, however, that a worldwide tax on exports is established, a sort of international excise, expressed as a percentage of the original market price and collected by an international organization that appoints agents in all export ports. The product of this tax will be paid back to the exporting countries in the form, say, of a development fund, subject to the sole condition that it may not be returned directly or indirectly to the branch producing the exported goods. All the inconvenient features of the direct agreements to raise prices or the quota systems listed above are eliminated. An increase in prices will be brought about automatically without any hitches and without clashing with the mechanisms of free trade that govern international trade. Production and consumption will come into line on their own, at the new point of equilibrium conditioned by whatever the elasticity of demand may be. The tax would not modify the relative status of the producing countries, and all the frictions under that score would be eliminated. Fraud would be much more difficult. The risk would remain that some or all of the tax may find its way back to the producers, perhaps through a reduction in the taxes on exports already in force in the producing countries. Apart from the fact that this procedure would be forbidden by the agreement, this risk would be practically nil if the restitution procedure adopted were such that it ruled out any movement of the money concerned through the state budget, a special fund being provided for instead, which should be independent of the budget. Since in the underdeveloped countries, customs receipts form the most substantial item in state revenue, 
it would be very hard to abolish them once they have been established, especially if the only motive for doing so were to violate an international agreement, the beneficial effects of which would be felt without delay in the form of credits on the Special Development Fund to be set up. Let us also not forget that the sanctions, which in any other agreement would be limited to expulsion, something that the offending country very often wants to bring about, could in this case have a much greater bearing, since the international organization charged with collecting the tax would at all times be in debt to the recalcitrant country. Finally, with this system there would be much less need than with quotas or contractual pricing for the cooperation of the consumer countries. From the standpoint of the ethics of international relations, a measure like this would be a measure of legitimate defense which the poor countries could adopt without shame in order to ensure for themselves a just, partial restitution of the losses due to their terms of trade.